base hit in the air to deep left field. Hayes going back at the wall. It's gone. It's a grand slam. Here's King from the pocket. Flush to his right with six. Five. Going to loop it downfield. That ball is caught. Touchdown, Georgia Tech. With one second to go in the ball game, Christian Leary hauls it in. Riley in the air to left field. On the run, Marsh. There it goes. Austin Riley has given the Braves the lead in the eighth. Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carius Show. Here we go, and a good Thursday morning to you. Saul, 37 for October 26, minus 7, and still chilly this week out there, man. Uh, some flurries, maybe, expected today, and a high of minus 3, but it is looking just fantabulous for the um, Heritage Classic on Sunday. Should be around 1, sunny. It's going to be, well, pretty well dark by the time puck drops, but should be a good afternoon and a good early evening at uh, Commonwealth Stadium. Good morning. Thanks so much for um, coming in uh, to Sports 1440 this morning. Oilers uh, in action tonight uh, before the Heritage Classic, of course, with the New York Rangers in town. Uh, Rangers beat Calgary the other night 3-1. to one. The Oilers lost, of course, to Minnesota 7-4. Oilers 1-4-1 one, on the night, on the year. Um on the night, uh, it's going to be an interesting night at uh, Rogers because uh, two longtime Oilers, great Oilers, uh, will be inducted into the Oilers Hall of Fame, and we will see their names go up to the um, ring around uh, Rogers Place. Of course, it's Charlie Huddy and Doug Waite. Charlie Huddy was, uh, man, he was a glue to so many teams and went on to just a incredible, you know, probably not talked about enough, um, incredible assistant coaching career in the NHL with several teams, including here in Edmonton, and was a key part of, um, you know, the Oilers' success in 2006 uh, with that squad on the blue line. But, you know, here's an interesting stat with Charlie Huddy. Plus 245, that's all. Just plus 245. Do you have thoughts on the two Oilers uh, going up into the Hall of Fame? Send us off a text. one 401 1440 Charlie Huddy, Doug Waite, uh, inducted into the Oilers Hall of Fame tonight. Uh, Dougie Waite, man, 588 career games with the Oilers. Uh 157 goals, 420 assists, man. And in a period of where it was just tough for a lot of years, uh, Doug Waite was one of the main reasons he went to the rink because he was an all-world talent, one of the best players in the league, handled uh, himself so well, uh, both on and off the ice to media, to fans, um, I, st- I always still remember, uh, you know, in the late, oh, probably 98, 99, and uh, Bill Twelly was the Oilers' uh, uh, director of comms at that time. And the Oilers were doing a, a shoot for the Humane Society, and, and Dougie Waite uh, was at the Humane Society with 
I don't know, four or five kittens kind of draped all over him. And Bill Twelly said, I will bet you anything that this picture of Doug Waite with the four kittens is on the front page of the Edmonton Sun tomorrow. And, of course, it was. It was a no-brainer. Um, it'll be uh, nice to talk to a lot of those guys today. At uh, noon, the Oilers are having uh, an availability, uh, you want to call it, at the uh, Hall of Fame room with uh, Charlie Huddy, Doug Waite, uh, also Kevin Lowe, Paul Coffey, Billy Guerin will be there. And, of course, Guerin and Doug Waite, very good friends. Kelly Buckberger and uh, Craig Simpson will be uh, there. So, uh, you know, you can just imagine the stories that will be uh, flinging around uh, this morning. And it'll be an, uh, a nice evening, I would expect, uh, down at Rogers. Hey, get in your seats early. Get down there a little bit early, uh, probably around 6 o'clock. Game starts at 7 between the Oilers and the Rangers. Uh, get down there early because, um, well, I think you probably don't want to miss too many of the uh, the festivities and the ceremony and the pomp and the circumstance and all that stuff. Uh, there will be a game to be played. And uh, how will the Oilers respond after what happened the other night in Minnesota, the 7-4 loss where they were outscored 5-1 to in the third period. On the year, the Oilers have been outscored 10-1, to I believe, in the third period. Not uh, exactly the way you want to end games. Uh, they're minus 10 goal differential right now. The Oilers is uh, second last in the league. Second last in the league. Only San Jose at uh, 15 is worse. Um, Washington had a couple of goals yesterday, and I think the Capitals now at minus 10 in the differential uh, department as well. Uh, what do you say? So... Yesterday went down to the rink and had, uh, there was probably, I would say, seven or eight media. Uh, the Oilers were off yesterday. Seven or eight media waiting for Jay Woodcroft. And uh, Woodcroft came out after coaches' meetings. And it was a different scenario. Um, it wasn't like it was a, just a straight Q&A. It was almost like there were, it was more of a conversation, discussion, some challenging um, moments maybe from the media, if you want to call it that, from um, certain, well, pretty well all the members of the media where they were asking Jay um, certain questions about what's been happening, most notably, I think, on defensive zone coverage. So, um, you know, I asked him a question to describe the system. What is this system? So Jay described it as it's kind of a, a similar to what the, the Boston Bruins use. What, you know, the Bruins have made very, you know, obviously high success at. Um, but then it kind of branched off into certain areas. And I think that's maybe where a few members of the media, maybe all of the members that were in the room were sort of uh, lost a little bit and maybe confused. Um, maybe terminology would be a word that was... Um, maybe not uh, looked at by the media and going, okay, I get this, I get this. Um, so I guess it was kind of when does this defensive zone coverage click in only because prior to the Minnesota game, Jay Woodcroft said, well, there's really only been one defensive zone goal that was given up in the first five games. So everyone kind of started doing the numbers in their head. You could just see kind of the wheels spinning. Mark Spector kind of said, well, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second here. So in the first game, he gave eight, up eight goals to, to Vancouver. And then it went from there. So Jay, to his credit, started reeling off the eight goals, okay, in 
in the game against uh, Vancouver to start the year. Three power play goals. He rattled them off. One, 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 one. And then, you know, he said, I'm kind of missing one. And it was the Brock Besser goal, the second goal of the game. Uh, second goal of the game. So we kind of talked about that. Well, where does it, like, how, how, how is that not a defensive zone coverage? And he explained to the fact, and Ladislav Schmid and I talked about it right after the game uh, when he came on the Thursday. Uh, basically, that goal was on a dump in. But where does it click in where you're in defensive zone coverage? And that's where the confusion, I think, kind of is. And not just with the fans or media, maybe it's with the players too. Because where exactly does it click in where you are in this Boston Bruins hybrid of zone coverage? On that play, Evan Bouchard was taken off the puck by DJ Zippy. At that point, the puck squirted out to the corner. JT Miller had the puck on his stick for a long time. Connor McDavid slid in, just kind of cruised into the corner, glided in. It gave JT Miller an extra second to decide what he wanted to do with the puck. At that moment, he sees Brock Besser in a little pocket, in a small pocket. And the puck comes out to Besser, quick pass uh, from uh, uh, JT Miller. Bang, top shelf, it's in the corner. Uh, it's done. It's 2 nothing Vancouver. So I guess the question that, that I kind of had, I said, well, I, and, and I didn't really understand. So it's, I guess it's in the terminology. And Jay did mention, at this point, at 1-4-1, and one, everything is under the microscope. Everything. We're going to get to some of the, the comments from uh, Jay Woodcroft at uh, 7-20. We'll uh, check in with Greg Wyshynski at 7-40. Uh, from ESPN, and he had some comments and some posts about the Oilers' high danger save percentage. Uh, text coming in to 1 401 1440. The Stair Farmer. Good morning, boys. Doug Waite, Charlie Huddy are two Oiler legends. Remember watching Doug Waite as a young kid, and man, oh man. Uh, some of the goals that Doug Waite scored, just simply amazing. The Calgary goal, spinning, everything. Um, edge work, uh, just outstanding. Uh, Dean, uh, well, Kevin, do you think it'll be a, a home sweater or away sweater thrown on the ice tonight? I hope neither, especially tonight. That comes from Dean. Uh, man, I, I sure hope that doesn't happen, and I would expect the Oilers respond with a strong performance uh, tonight against the Rangers. Hey, my old buddy, Buddy Baker. Bud Baker chimes in. Uh, I don't understand why the Oilers deserved a day off from practice. They don't uh, understand the defensive system. You'd think they would want to practice. Well, let's not to say, let's just say they probably had some, um, for one, you, you, it can't be a mandated day off because you travel back after the game and that's just the way uh, the CBA works. So it would have been probably a coach's decision in the sense that if you remember after the Oilers um, lackluster performance in Philadelphia. The Oilers uh, practice the next day. So maybe this is something to... And I mean, you're, you're basically getting home around the same time, give or take an hour or so. Uh, maybe this is uh, the Oilers staff going, you know, we practiced them the last time. We went to the whip last time. Uh, let's give them a day off today um, and then see what happens. After Sunday, the Oilers have two, three days off before their next game. Um, I think it's Thursday, so we'll see what shakes down 
there. Uh, text coming in, one 1440 um, Hey, uh, good morning from Caleb. Who do you think will win the World Series and what will the, sc- what will the score be? Will it be a long series? You know, uh, the Duke of Delburn. Let's uh, welcome in the Duke of Delburn, our stalwart producer. No one had picked Arizona to beat L.A. No one picked Arizona to beat Philadelphia. Is anyone picking Arizona to beat Texas? Are you, Duke, picking Zona to beat Texas? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I've been really impressed with what Arizona's done with, uh, you know, the whole lineup contributing a couple guys uh, above all else. Uh, Corbin Carroll, of course, um, even a former couple Jays, uh, Lourdes Gurriel and, and Gabby Moreno have uh, had, had big playoffs. And the pitching staff for Arizona is what's really impressed me the most in the way they've used their pitching staff and executed. But this Texas lineup, I mean, when you go out and spend as much money on uh, – <laughs> on only a couple players as they did uh, over the past few off seasons in Corey Seager and uh, um, Simeon. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's tough to pick against them, and they're no slouches in the pitching department either by any stretch. So um, I, I, I'm going with the Rangers, but I would love to see it, um, you know, stretched out a little bit. I know earlier this week or last week we were talking about how we don't necessarily like that it's November baseball anymore for the World Series. It, now Mr. November is what used to be <laughs> Mr. October. But uh, but I think it's just the, the, the drama as opposed to, say, a, a quick sweep or something. That takes a little bit of the romance out of the game. So I'll, uh, I'm hoping for a, a long, you know, six, seven-game series, but I think the Rangers will, uh, will take care of business. So the Dukes got the Rangers. Uh, so if Zach Gallen can get back to where he was throwing – you know, at the top of his game, not to, if he can give us 80% of what he was, I think that kind of tilts a little bit of the pitching edge to Arizona, just out of the bullpen, or sorry, out of the starters. Uh, bullpen, uh, not so much, except for Paul Seawald. Paul Seawald, you would take hands down over Jose Leclerc right now any day. Uh, that's one of the best trades going uh, when Arizona snagged Paul Seawald from Seattle uh, at the deadline. Because he's been just phenomenal. Good, uh, Paul Sewell, when he was in New York, um, he was getting lit up. <laughs> I mean, he, he was he was not good. Uh, he was with the Mets. Seattle traded for him and said, we want you to keep throwing an elevated fastball. Keep throwing it because we think that it rises a little bit. And he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, th- this is the exact opposite of what everyone's told me to do because you know, they don't want it up in the zone because one second later it's 400 feet in center field in the, in the bleachers. And then he's got that long sweeper. They felt that he could um, expand the strike zone to certain pitcher or certain hitters, whether it be a guy that might be looking up high and maybe now he's got a pop-up or he doesn't get all of it, etc. or that sweeper, which now they're chasing. So... Uh, Paul Sewell has been one of the really solid, solid acquisitions, solid, one of the best trades at the deadline uh, for sure. Our focus for the first little bit here will be hockey. No question about it. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN uh, will check in. Uh, man, long time in the business. Uh, pretty heavy, I would say, into analytics, I would think. You could call them that. So we'll touch a little bit on that where we'll probably agree to disagree. Uh Ladislav Schmid, our uh, Thursday co-host. What are you expecting from Laddie today? I mean, it's going to be another. He, he'll, he'll be bouncing in. I'll give him. Let's do the over/under at seven fifty-nine. 
Uh, is the under before that or is the over before that? Yeah, like I'll say he's 759s when he bounces in right in. I think uh, maybe he was listening when you were kind of dogging him the other day about, <laughs> uh, you know, what was the expression running running tired to a microphone or out of breath to a microphone <laughs> yes. or something. Uh, I, maybe he caught wind of that and is uh, looking to prove you wrong. So I'm going to say Laddie rolls in at a crisp 752. 52, okay. Sounds good. I'll. Uh, you th- you think he's that early? Yeah, he's never. It's only been like once or twice where he's rolling in like right at the top of the hour, like you're saying. Usually, he's giving himself more than a few minutes of breathing room. Okay. I don't see it. <laughs> uh, Mark Spector will be with us uh, on the mark for Booster Juice at eight o'clock. We'll have some open time uh, with Laddie in the eight o'clock hour. Uh, Thursday night football. It is the Tampa Bay Bucks, Buffalo Bills. Sorry, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. What am I thinking? Yeah, Tampa Bay Bucks, and uh, we had um, we had the Buffalo Bills angle, and now we will have the Tampa Bay Bucks angle tonight at uh, today at nine o'clock. Uh, Kenny Albert, Rangers play-by-play man. Uh, will be with us at 9.20. Now, Kenny's got a new book out. Uh, it's called A Mike for All Seasons. <sighs> Ooh, this is a guy that is busy. I mean, he's really the only guy left in, well, you could say all the four major sports that's doing play-by-play of all major sports going forward right now. So, uh, Kenny Albert uh, will check in, and, and he'll he'll be here tonight. He's ca- he's calling the Rangers-Oilers game uh, for the Rangers tonight. Uh, so, he'll be here with us at 9.20. Big announcement yesterday with the Canadian Finals Rodeo. Coming back to Edmonton. Does this excite you, Duke? It's coming back next year. Of course, the rodeo will be coming up here in, well, a couple weeks here in less than a week, well, 10 days, I guess, in Red Deer for the last go-round in Red Deer. So, it comes back to... Edmonton for the start of 2024, which the CFR started in 1974, so it'll be kind of an anniversary. Are you excited about the CFR coming back, Duke? Uh, I've got a bit of mixed feelings about it. Of course, uh, Red Deer being kind of my home neck of the woods, I always liked the trip down there to um, take it in and, and go with some of my you know more rural friends, I guess, the, some of the rodeo folk. But with it back up here in the city, I went plenty of times when it was here as well uh, while I was going to the U of A and the like. So it might be a good chance to introduce some of my uh, more urban friends and city dwellers to uh, take out to the rodeo now starting next fall. The big Cebolla coming in. Oh, he will, he's a he's a staple at the CFR, you <laughs> betcha. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It can be a lot of fun. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, also uh, have some sound, some comments from Jay Woodcroft when we come back. Uh, that's just before we uh, check in with uh, Greg Wyshynski on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Uh, 722, coming up to 723 in Edmonton. Not too bad of a day, but uh, looking much better for the weekend and the Heritage Classic uh, coming up for a 5 o'clock puck drop on uh, Sunday between the Oilers and the Calgary Flames. Two teams kind of struggling, you could say, out of the gate. One team that really isn't struggling off to a decent start, the New York Rangers, and, of course, the Rangers here tonight after beating the Flames 3-1 when the Oilers will induct Charlie Huddy and Doug Waite into the Oilers Hall of Fame. You know, uh, one other thing that I always kind of do when I get into work, you check uh, what happened in the sporting world on this date and things like that. It's sort of an interesting um, 
I don't know, angle to just in case something catches your eye. And one of these things did catch my eye today. And it was back in 1988. Uh, and it, it would be interesting to find out because I haven't checked anything if there was what's happened after this. In uh, 1988, Donald Trump billed Mike Tyson $2 million for advisory services. How do you think that went? Probably not well. <laughs> Sorry about that, Dave. Uh, coming <laughs> coming up at 7.40, we will have uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Uh, text coming in uh, to one 401 Hey, a lot of uh, over-unders coming in here, Duke, on the Ladislav Schmid arrival time. Uh, the king of Fort Nasty says, I've got Laddie at 7.54. Let me know how I made out. Cheers, the king of Fort Nasty. What did we set it at, 7.58 or did I say 7.59? You said 59, <sighs> I said 52. 52, ooh, that's early, man. Okay, uh, so the king of Fort Nasty has 7.54. Maybe we should get a pool going. Okay, I got 7.50, I'll just go 7.59. Duke has 52, the king of Fort Nasty has uh, 54. Uh, another texture has 7.57. We're looking good. Regarding the Oilers, this comes in from Seuss. Good morning. Longtime listener of AM Sports Radio in Edmonton. Been listening to you guys since you got on the air recently. Thank you very much. Uh, regarding the orders, uh, when does the focus on the coach become a reality? Uh, in my opinion, he's not the right fit. He proved that last year in the playoffs, and it's uh, rolling into the season Uh that comes from Seuss. What we're going to do, we're going to get Jay Woodcroft's sound coming up in a couple of minutes and play that for you, what he addressed yesterday to the media regarding, well, I mean, defensive zone coverage, where he sees that in the, in the, in the um, I guess, the, the system play of the team moving forward. Uh, he did liken it to what the Boston Bruins were using last year, maybe in years past. Um, maybe the Bruins aren't using it as much with the personnel they have. Have to really do a deep dive on that. But the media did kind of challenge Jay yesterday with a few questions, a few you know topics of conversation in the sense of uh, where the team's at on defensive zone coverage. Stair Farmer texts in. Schmied, 755. Not many squares left on the old uh, pool here. No, no one's taking the over yet either. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, Darth, too, says, this is all dependent on how much work he's putting into the gym today. And I'll guess it's a lot. The man is an inspiration. I will take Laddie arriving at 7.58. Well, I don't I think we only have 7.57 left, unless he comes in before 7.52 or after 8. Uh, good stuff. Congrats to the Toronto Raptors last night. Uh, big win to tip off the season against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Hey, Dennis Schrader, 22 points. and made everyone kind of forget about, you know, Fred Van Vliet for uh, a fleeting moment. Uh, 97-94, Raptors win it. So a good start uh, for the new head coach, Darko Ryakovich, and good start for Raptors basketball uh, this year and it was weird wasn't it weird last night so you go on tuesday night you have 16 games 16 and then you get one last night it's a 6-4 victory for the capitals alex ovechkin with another goal uh stair farmer goes schmied won't be too razzed if he's late um uh, 
<laughs> Jeff says, give me 801. I'll take the over. It's our first over. I got. I, I think he's in at just right before eight. Um, oh, man. A lot of lot of, of our texters are really, really coming down hard on Jay Wood, Woodcroft. I just think it's way too early for this. Um, we've only played six games. I, I don't see it. I just don't see it. Um, Father Various, no relation. He feels that it will be time to, to fire Woodcroft in the next little bit. Um, he says that he figures it'll be by the weekend. Sunday night after the Flames loss, it'll be a good time to fire Woodcroft. I don't. I disagree with you. Sorry, Eden. Uh, I just think this. there's a lot left this team has to give, a lot more that we can see. Uh, for some reason, and no one can put their finger on it, the team has not been able to find its way yet. So um, we'll see what happens moving forward and starting tonight against the Rangers. So uh, as we discussed yesterday, uh, Jay Woodcroft had a, held a media availability, uh, quite a few media for just uh, the players were not available, had a day off, were given a day off, uh, but quite a few media attended the Jay Woodcroft availability. And it was started off with the three, yes, three too many men on the ice penalties against Minnesota with a question asked by our colleague, Reed Wilkins. Last night, uh, you guys committed three too many men penalties, which is obviously a lot in a game. What, what, what happened on those, I guess, blunt question? Well, I think uh, obviously there was some miscommunication with, with some guys. Some, some guys jumping on when their check or their change didn't fully come off uh, the bench. There was actually four in the game, Reed. I don't know if you saw that, but the other team got called too. So it seemed to be a focal point. Um, I don't think the people who jumped on affected the play or anything like that, but there was certainly a a violation. Um, In the end, you're responsible for jumping on for the people that you're changing for, and uh, we can do a better job. When you have a... I thought the penalty kill was excellent, though, by the way. Sorry? The penalty kill was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. On those, yeah. Would would you have an issue like that with with too many men, which involves line changes? Yep. And I know you've touched on some of the errors before that the work ethic is there, but there just are these big slip ups. Is that just like maybe another symptom of a of a funk or something the team is working through with these details? Well, in the end, you are individually responsible for jumping on the ice for your change. Um, so it's important that you're clear on who you're changing for. Now, things alter when you're 11 forwards in 7D um, because sometimes forwards are being asked to play maybe not their natural position. We pride ourselves on making sure um, we're clear on who's where and whatnot. In the end, it's an individual individual error. We can clean it up for sure. Uh, Jay, defensive zone coverage, can you describe the system that you are trying to implement? Well, I would say um, the term for it, I think you guys in the media call it a zone. I would say it's been popularized by a team that had the best record in the NHL last year in Boston. Uh, So a lot of similarities there. I think through training camp 
and through the first five games of the regular season, um, it had uh, performed pretty well. I think through five games, we gave up one defensive zone goal. Uh, last night, it wasn't good enough. Part of that's on us. Part of that's a credit to the other team that did some unique things, some good things, um, and their top players uh, found a way to break it. But there's certainly some areas where we can be better in uh, in that coverage. How different is it than what you did last year, and why does it appear, you know, how different is it than what you did last year, and why does it appear, you know, one player in the unit might be looking at another guy and unsure of what he's going to do and unsure of what his teammate might do at any given time. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's the word um, that we would use. I think it is It is a different system. It's a system that was uh, embraced um, by everybody in our organization as an area we wanted to go, go to. I think, as I said, through five games of the regular season, uh, we gave up one goal in that coverage uh, in the defensive zone. Uh, yesterday we gave up a few. Um, certainly we can be better. Um, but for me, uh, it, anytime you're working through a new way of doing things, there's growing pains. Uh, but like I said, through five games, we gave up one goal. Wait, I don't understand this. You gave up eight goals the first night. Yep. How did you give up one? Three were on the penalty kills. Sure. Yeah. So let's go through them. The first goal I can, I can, yeah. Well, no, but you're, you're asking that question, Spec. So let me give you the answer. I would say uh, the first goal was off a rush where a player floated one. We missed it. A guy tipped it in. Second goal was off of a breakout turnover. Um, I think the, we gave up three power play goals that night. So that's five. We gave up a face-off goal. That's six. We gave up a four-check goal on the eighth goal where we didn't work above someone. That's seven. And I'm missing one goal there. Besser high slot was... Um, uh, that was a breakout turnover where we didn't execute off of a breakout. Um, so for me, oh, and then there was uh, one off the rush where it kind of banged around in the second period there. So those, when I say they're not defensive zone coverage goals, that had nothing to do with D-zone coverage. That had everything to do with individual errors within those types of situations. I would say through five games, the one goal that we gave up in D-zone coverage was the home game uh, versus Vancouver, the second goal. Uh, it was a tip-in by Hoglander uh, around the front of the net where we weren't good enough around our net. I would say that uh, some of the goals that went in last night in D-zone coverage same type of situation where our net, net play within that D zone coverage could certainly improve. Does that answer your question, Spec? That has to be defensive zone coverage. Well, I would say the, the primary thing on that Besser goal is that we went back for the puck. We, it was on our tape. We didn't execute on a breakout. Broke down. Then Besser, because of the breakdown on the breakout, Besser's in in the mid slot and he scores in that situation. So for me, the the primary situation in that that's a breakout turnover. And I guess maybe the, the <laughs> tons, of this is tons of uh, comments coming into our text line one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. 
G uh, Compro Evolution GM guys love the show. I think the focus is on Jay because he portrays the imaginary of being too soft. It often looks like he's easy on the non-performers, too hard on Holloway, like uh, non-performers like Bouchard. It's still on the players. They need a much better effort defensively. I think that's the main thing. No matter what you play, if you're not bought in, if you do not exert everything you have to either terminate a play, uh, create a turnover. Get the puck out. Um, you have to give it everything that you're doing, just the same amount of effort and same amount of will, same amount of all of that as what you're trying to do when you try to score a goal. And that goes for every guy on the ice. Um, a lot of people not liking uh, Jay Woodcroft. Uh, after listening to that interview, I've lost uh, the respect for the coach. He never answered any of the questions, mostly loaded it with BS. Uh Pillman, Woody's Woody is excuse after excuse. One goal, um, and that's. I think the goal. It's terminology. I think that's the main thing where it's confusing. Not only for media, which the media, to a man, you could ask every guy in the room yesterday. They were confused about what's the defensive zone coverage when, especially on the Brock Besser goal. That's the main one. So yes, it's a it, it's a failed execution. It's an individual error, and that's Bouchard trying to get the outlet around the back side of the net to where Evander Kane was because he had come down. But at what point where there is an individual mistake, do you go into this defensive zone coverage, and are the players reacting quickly enough to after that individual error to make up for that mistake and get into whatever defensive zone coverage package that you are trying to implement. It's wordy. It's uh, it's complicated. And maybe that's why it looks like it's very confusing out there at times. Uh, when we come back, we will check in with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. He'll have some analytics for you right after the break on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for the Puck Report brought to you by Fountain Tire. Right now during the Road Ready Sales event, you can save up to $225 on select tires and a bonus of $50 off any service until December the 16th. Book your appointment at fountaintire.com. Some restrictions do apply as we welcome in ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. Greg, morning. Welcome to Sports 1440. Morning. How are you? Oh, just outstanding. Hope you're having a great day. And uh, you know what? After Tuesday night, it's almost like uh, you know you had 16 games Tuesday, one game on Tuesday night. It was like everyone was like Denny Lemieux from Slapshot, just shaking coming in after one of the periods. And then <laughs> and then last night you had the one game, so it was a bit of a, a withdrawal. How did, how did you guys at ESPN kind of uh, handle that day of just nonstop hockey? What was that like for you? Well, first of all, that game last night was uh, enough action for, uh, for 16 games. My God, that was insane last night with the Devils and Capitals. Uh, no, it, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, like it was it was a big experiment, you know, where it was it was trying something new. It was giving hockey fans a chance to all sort of have a shared experience in all watching games together. And and you know the the, the whip around show they call it that uh, that Gucci Grass and, and kept my friend Kevin Weeks uh, hosted. Um, was was also something new. I mean, it was going from game to game and, and sticking with the games that went to overtime and things like that. And I think it was really successful. I mean, the, the numbers were good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's obviously going to be some tweaks if we do it again. But but the response from fans and uh, the success internally tells me that this might be something that happens uh, 
uh, again down the line. It was it was really cool. I think were they just hoping that you know that hopefully or possibly there would have been no baseball on at that point just to kind of get that one day before the NBA started kind of <laughs> thing or what was the the game plan there? Well, the NBA thing wasn't a concern. I mean, yeah. I, I think we all knew that that you know the NBA was starting up, and you know you got to put this thing on at some point, and and you know it's going to be. Do we, does it go up against the NBA? Does it go up against college football? Mm-hmm. Does it go up against the NFL? I mean, you got to pick your poison, right? But yeah. um, the, the the Phillies thing, obviously, was something that was very unforeseen. <laughs> the yeah. idea that that series was going seven, and then obviously ending in the in the manner in which it did. So um, that that you know that you, you, you can't you can't uh, be perfect with your scheduling all the time. But I, again, like the numbers in the face of that were really good, and and. More so than, than the ratings or the audience or anything like that. I mean, I think the thing that, that we're most excited about is the reaction. I mean, mm-hmm. like, the r- rare is the thing that you put on for hockey fans where the vast majority of them dig it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like, to have the response that we got for it and to have people hashtagging Frozen Frenzy and, and talking about how it's, you know, one of the cooler um, presentations of hockey that they've seen – that's that's the satisfying part. The satisfying part is that you know it, we made think something that the fans really liked, and then they want more of, which again is is not always uh, the the thing that you hear from hockey fans. Yeah, um, Greg Wachinski from uh, ESPN is our guest on Sports fourteen forty. Um, you're a numbers guy. We know that. Um, you're kind of had a comment yesterday about the Oilers with high danger save percentage and some other stats regarding the Oilers in the early going here. Can you kind of expand on that to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the constant themes, I think, for the Oilers in the last couple of seasons has been, you know, doing good things that are undercut by, by mediocre goaltending. And while, you know, Jack Campbell, I think, at times has passed the eye test this season, uh, the, the numbers don't lie in the sense that the Oilers are sort of better than average in uh, preventing high-danger shot attempts, the shot attempts in you know, the, the areas of the ice closest to the crease, they're pretty good at it. Um, their problem is, is that they are 32nd in the league, dead last in the league in, uh, in, in, in giving up goals from those areas. In fact, their goaltenders are the only ones in the league right now that have a save percentage lower than 700 uh, in, in that category. So what, what that tells you is that if the Oilers are playing okay defensively, it's being undercut by, by mediocre goaltending. But, again, though, that's one worry. The problem for the Oilers right now is there's so many. It's like mm-hmm. playing whack-a-mole. Like you're, <laughs> you, you, you're, not, you're not even sure where, you know, where, where to start as far as the problems go. And the disturbing thing for someone like me who thought they were going to be quite good is that like, there seems to be some regression in places, regression in the goaltending, regression in the game of someone like, like Evan Bouchard. Like, and then on, on top of everything else, Connor getting hurt. So it's it's been a a horror show start for this team. So Greg, were those numbers before the Minnesota game? Because in the second period alone, like, I mean, Jack Campbell had, you know, a half dozen great saves that would have been high danger saves against the wild. So can you just kind of touch on that? No, it was after the wild game. Okay. So what was the percentage before? Yeah, I was going to say, maybe that goes to show you what the percentage was before, but yeah. And I mean, again, like he, he has had moments where he's played well um, and, 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 and bailed out a team not playing well in front of him. But, you know, there are still those moments for this goaltending where uh, they, they do the job and then, and then the goaltending lets them down. So, um, again, mm-hmm. it, 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 is, it is not as if you point to the goalies and say this is the reason they're in this pickle right now. 
There's a lot of other reasons, but it, it, the goaltending, it, good goaltending bails you out of bad starts, and they've not had good goaltending, and they're having a bad start. See, we're with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. I thought, like, you know, I thought Jack Campbell gave the Oilers every opportunity to win that game with phenomenal play in the second period. And I think that's the main thing that counts here, especially going into the, you know, going into the third where the Oilers had a 3-2 lead and he made at least six outstanding saves in the second period, got lucky with a post as well. Um, but isn't that the main point here is if he puts his team in a position to win, that's all you can ask for? I mean, it's it's all you can ask for, but we're also talking about a one-game sample size mm-hmm. here for Jack okay. Campbell. Fair. I mean, like uh, you look back at the totality of last season, you look at other other games this season, you know, now and and probably going forward, uh, and 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 you, you might see a different story. And, and again, like we're, we're talking about a, a game in in which the Oilers surrendered seven goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So it's like, uh, I, I don't know if we really want to make the argument and plant our flag on the, on, on, on how well the goals ending played uh, when that's what the scoreboard looks like at the end. Yeah. I, I think your analogy to, of a walk-a-mole game is bang on because there are a, a many, a, a plethora of problems right now that need to be sorted out and sorted out in a hurry going into the Rangers game. Tonight, so you also had an article about why watch all thirty-two teams this year. Uh, is there one or two teams, Greg, that you'd, or one or two parts of that article that you want to go say, yeah, this is at the top of the article, and this is why we want to get more people watching, especially in the United States. I guess that's your target audience as well. Yeah, for sure. Oh no, I mean that's the, the cool thing about doing that story is like there's just so many interesting storylines this year. Um, you know, the fact that, that we have a Boston team coming off the blocks undefeated after the way they lost last year uh, and then losing their top two centers, including their captain is, is one of the better stories of the league. I, I always think Boston sports teams are better when they're, when they're the underdogs, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't like when they're really good. Uh, I think that city likes an underdog and, and I think they, they certainly have one. Um, and then, you know, the Oilers, I, I think are a fascinating story if only because there was such a, a wave to kind of crown them champs before they, they maybe have earned it. Um, and then you have two generational talents in the same team trying to win a cup together, which is always an interesting story. And, and then, you know, you have these, these teams like the Penguins and the Capitals who have, you know, the two biggest stars that hockey has seen um, in maybe the last 20 years that are all just trying to claw and scrape and do what they can to either remain relevant or uh, be somewhat competitive. In the Penguins' case, it's fascinating to see if the Eric Carlson trade actually – helps make them a playoff team and, and, uh, and, a, and a contender. And in the Capitals' case, obviously, even if they're not good, and, and you know they got the win last night, but I don't think anyone's expecting them to be a real cup contender, uh, you have you know Ovechkin chasing one of the most storied records mm-hmm. in the history of, of sports. So um, there's a lot of reasons to watch the league this year, and it's, it's, it's a fun time to be a hockey fan. It's exciting. Uh, there's no question about that. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is our guest on Sports 1440. Why in, in um, you know, it's, it, this isn't kind of totally new, but this whole puck tracking system that's sort of being implemented on a higher level, why does that excite you and I think excite the fans and the rest of the media so much? Oh, it, well, first of all, accuracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we have had stats for a while that uh, portended to give us good information on things like puck possession and, uh, and, and things of that nature. And, 
they were all sort of like extrapolations of, of what we thought was happening. But now with this technology, we know for sure how long the puck stays in, in each zone and, and have a much better understanding of that. And, and that's such invaluable information to really kind of, you know, uh, judge the effectiveness of teams and, and things like that. Um, but also, like, it's just good from a, a fun and like a trivia standpoint, a storytelling standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, something like yeah. who's, the, who's the guy who skates the most in a game is, is a fun thing to know. And, yeah. and, you know, the highest rate of speed for a player in a game is, is a fun thing to know. So it's not only like giving us a chance to, from a media perspective, have better information and more accurate numbers in evaluating the success or failure of the team. It's also just like fun stuff, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, finding out a guy, you know, how many times a guy hit 25 miles an hour or whatever when he's skating, it's just like fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, the puck and player tracking uh, stats that are on the NHL.com right now are great. And it's only going to get better. Like the tech's only going to get better um, and, and, uh, and, and help us understand the game even more. The Fountain Tire Puck Report features Greg Wyshynski from ESPN this morning on uh, Sports 1440. The decentralization of the draft is probably just needing to be rubber-stamped right now, if that would be a, a good terminology. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Uh, where do you see this moving forward? Well, so it's been covered by the media as, in one of these, as one of these stories that's a very, very big deal to the media. Uh, it is a great party. I am not lying to you. Every year for three days, we all congregate. We see people we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, money is spent to put us up in hotels. We go do karaoke. For the media, the draft is awesome. Oh, and by the way, we also have access to all the GMs and these prospects, too, and it helps us do our jobs in a pretty uh, comprehensive way heading into the off season. That being said, these teams are sending like upwards of 30 people to these cities. Mm-hmm. They're flying them there. They're putting them up in hotels. They're paying for their meals. It is an amazing amount of money being outlaid by the teams. Oh, and by the league, by the way, that has to also like rent an arena for this stuff. <laughs> um, for middling return, I guess, from a television perspective. So the decentralization of the draft makes sense to me because these teams are all going to be able to stay home save costs on travel and, and increase revenue by having elaborate draft parties for their team, for their teams mm-hmm. and having people come and, and having players and GMs, you know, talk to crowds and things of that nature versus all having people go to the draft. So from a financial standpoint, I think it makes too much sense for them to do it. And then also like to, to not have to have a facility where you have so many people at tables and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, spectators and the whole thing, like you can start to do this draft in really interesting places. One of the places they floated during the summer was doing the, having the prospects come to Disneyland and, and just, you know, do the draft there, uh, which is kind of dope, like from a TV perspective Mm -hmm. and could lead to some really fun things. So um, I know that it's heartbreaking for a lot of people, especially in the media that they're not going to do this draft in a, in a, in a, in the way that they've done it. And it certainly is going to impact coverage, but from a logistics standpoint and a revenue standpoint, I think it makes total sense. Uh, hey, Greg, thanks for doing this. One last quick one for you just on the Oilers and Rangers tonight. Uh, Oilers will be inducting uh, Charlie Huddy, Doug Wade into the, uh, oh, I just oh. lost the bet. Ladislav Schmid, our co-host for 8 o'clock is here. I had him pegged in at 7.59. He's four minutes early, or early so man, oh man, I lost the bet, Greg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you must have been a big Doug Wade fan growing up, being an American and things like that. Yeah, Doug Waite was awesome, man. Like he, he was. I mean, you know, a, a, a fun, a fun center to watch and and uh, and to keep tabs on from afar. Uh, Charlie Huddy's a name I haven't yeah. thought of in a long time either. So, yeah. um, look, look, 
the Oilers never lack for players to honor. I'd let that be said. And, uh, and uh, those are two good ones. Uh, thanks for doing this, Greg. Appreciate it. Enjoy uh, the game tonight. Hopefully we can uh, speak to you in the future again. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. That's uh, Greg Wyshynski, the uh, puck report brought to you by Fountain Tire. Uh, once the weather hits seven degrees for seven days, it's a good time to get your tires changed over. Head to FountainTire.com to check out their winter tire lineup and brand offerings. They also do tire storage as well. When we come back, top of the hour, Ladislav Schmid. I lost the bet. It was the under. We'll see who won the pool. And Mark Spector from Rogers Sportsnet. Before that, uh, 1440 Sports Update brought to you by the Edmonton Oilers Hall of Fame game tonight at 7 p.m. against the New York Rangers. The pregame ceremony for Doug Waite and Charlie Huddy. Limited tickets remain at edmontonoilers.com slash tickets. And by the way, we'll be talking to Kelly Buckberger at 10 o'clock. Here's the Duke with a sports update.